0: it's in that vein of isolation and belonging and, you know, thinking about families coming together at our we call it the family fun day at at the picnic and, you know, this idea that if we can build technology and a community that we can help these families feel a sense of belonging. These kids belong in broader society.
1: This is Tectonics, the podcast focused on the people and passion at the intersection of technology and health. Like many entrepreneurs, he was born with the itch. Jason Lembeck grew up around his father and
2: grandfather, but both started their own businesses. He knew that his own destiny was to be one of those guys who ran a business and was his own boss. And Jason has fulfilled that promise more than once. Today, he is CEO of Special X, a company bringing life-changing information and services to kids with disabilities of
1: all kinds. This is Tectonics. I'm David Shaywitz.
2: And I'm Lisa Soonan, And we're grateful to Manat Health for sponsoring today's show. Manat Health is a multidisciplinary professional services firm that integrates a full-service law firm with a broad-based strategic business and policy con- consulting practice to help our clients grow and prosper. Manat Health supports the full range of stakeholders in transforming America's healthcare system.
1: So, Lisa. Yes. Um, one thing we wanted to um, really talk about today is um, the recent, uh, it'll be a couple of weeks by the time the show airs. Right. But the, uh, the passing of uh, someone it sounds like you knew relatively well, Bernard Tyson.
2: You know, I didn't know him. Someone, well, my husband worked pretty closely with him, and I'd met him numerous you times. You wanted to just say who he year, was. And Bernard was the CEO of Kaiser. Um, and a revered person in healthcare. You know, I think that so many people who run healthcare companies are not thought of that favorably, to be frank. And he is one of those people that is a a rare exception who was beloved by the people that work for him, but also by his colleagues, his competitors, and the like. And I think he had such an amazing perspective on the world and was so interested in treating people well. He'd invested hundreds of millions of dollars in housing and food and things like that for members of Kaiser and the communities around where he served people. And I think it was a very, um, progressive and modern approach in one of the oldest, you know, healthcare systems. What do you see as his legacy? Um, well, I hope his legacy is, is that the work that Kaiser started will continue. I think they made an announcement actually. I saw, I think it was yesterday, that they intend to continue the programs he started Mm -hmm. to provide all of those social supports to, to people. Um, in the communities that Kaiser serves, but I think the other part of his legacy is he just dealt with challenges uh, and and you know thorny issues with such great humor, um, and he um, left a positive impression I think on everybody he t- he met. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's sad to to think that he would so die, suddenly so young yeah. and you know he's only sixty years old. So um, it's a real uh, it's a real sad moment, I think, for healthcare because he was uh, leading us through some, you know, things that I think most people need to understand and aren't quite there yet. Um, but we have other people in our healthcare system that are doing wonderful things for, for people and their families, and I think Jason Lembeck is one of them. And Jason's company, Special X, is the perfect mix of pragmatism and compassion, reflecting the two primary personality characteristics of its founder. But while he is up to his elbows in the healthcare system now... Jason was one of those tech guys before, and he had a long career in internet advertising where he gave a second thought to the healthcare world. A serial entrepreneur, he is making good on the promise to leverage his business skills for good. Jason, welcome to the show.
0: Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on.
2: We're delighted to have you, a fellow podcaster on the show. Um, so tell us, was, was your altruism as you're thinking about you know, what you're doing today, always a motivator for you as you've done other things in your career? Or you atoning for something or, from your past. <laughs> or is that a recently acquired uh, focus?
0: Yes, it's the answer is yes to both. I, I you know, <laughs> I am atoning for my sins as a former ad tech uh, veteran. Um, but, um, you know, my, growing up, my mother was just a, a leading light in our lives, uh, our family's life, and just, you know, always you know, looking for the, the better of, of people and, and giving greater than, uh, looking to get. And, and so even though I was an ad tech for 20 years, we had, um, you know, the teams that I built, the products and, and company that, uh, I built with my good friend John Zimmerman were very, very values and mission driven, which sounds kind of silly when you're talking about ad tech, but it is possible.
2: So you wanted to be an entrepreneur and follow in the footsteps of your dad and your grandfather. I think your dad was in um, geology and mining and your grandfather was a butcher. What was it that you saw that they had that made you want it? What was it?
1: Mutton. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my grandfather in particular. I mean, he was—he started off as a butcher, and then and then he became a cattleman, a cattle rancher. And and for my father, um, he was—he uh, just loved the land and loved, um, you know, adventure, and and turned that into a, a career and then ultimately his own business uh, as a as an officer in the mining industry. And just you know, getting to know my grandfather briefly—he he passed when I was thirteen, but you know. Learning from him in his broken Italian, uh, what it means to control your own uh, kind of work and, and life and, and destiny, yeah. and then similarly for my father, um, you know, being able to control your day and control what you work on and and um, you know make a meaning out of that. Um, that was just super inspiring for me. You know, as a as a seven year old, it wasn't like I said, oh, I'm gonna you know run my own company per se, but you know watching them uh, you know do what they love and 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 uh, you know be able to to be home like my father would be home for soccer practice and be the coach and uh, you know uh, would be home for dinner every night and but then get up in the morning at 5 a.m and go do his thing like you know he had that flexibility and kind of freedom to-
2: did your dad as a businessman? Or your grandpa, for that matter, have sort of a mantra or something they told you all the time that's really like plays out in your head all the time as you do your job.
0: The, the funniest and, and I think most impactful quote, which my grandfather told my dad at one point, and then my dad passed on to me. Um, and my grandfather is my mom's uh, dad, but uh, they were my, my dad and his grandfather were very close um he he would ask my dad how's work going and my dad would say it's busy and he said i didn't i didn't ask if he were busy i said how's work going <laughs> and so uh, every time somebody asks me that and i say i'm busy i i try to check myself <laughs>
2: <laughs> i find like my dad was an entrepreneur too and i find that i have some of his sort of mantras like that that play in my head you know all the time and i just...
1: do you think that gets at the idea of separating generating heat from <laughs> generating light <laughs>
2: So you had a pretty easygoing childhood, you said, called yourself a nerdy jock, which is a funny term. Clearly the nerdy one out since you started your first company while still in college at Columbia. Yeah. Tell it was, us about uh, that.
0: You know, as as any nerd would name their company, it was called Cool, uh, Columbia University, <laughs> <laughs> Columbia University Web League. So uh, we, good friend and I started basically a web uh, development business. This was in the, the mid nineties. So, you know, the web was just coming about and uh, we um, set off to get every local business around Columbia up and running. And we actually, did you get
1: Columbia bagel on it?
0: <laughs> you know, we, we, we couldn't get them. They weren't, they weren't buying in, but we did get the, um, the local dominoes uh, to huh. do what I would, I would claim to be the, uh, the first uh, online delivery. We wired up their fax machine Uh, to our our the website we created for them, and people could uh, could order pizza online so that's our wow yeah they
1: definitely took it and ran with it it seems like the the orders were pretty sparse
2: (laughs) (laughs) so you um decided instead of continuing on your web development company when you graduated you gave it all up and joined anderson consulting was that a good move or a bad move
0: yeah. That's where you insert the uh, sound effect as wah, wah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was, it
1: Did
0: was, you get I, some
1: adulting in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That they, they were, it was, it was helpful to, you know, no one to show up and, and, uh, you know, do all the, the right things with the PowerPoint and the Excel spreadsheet. And so there was some good fundamental skills, but, um, you know, after about
1: a year and a half. God, it sounds like he's explaining this at gunpoint, doesn't it? (laughs) So it feels like a hostage video. I didn't have to sign, when I
0: left, I had to sign a, uh, you know, don't disparage
1: us. Non-disparaging, yeah, well, you didn't say anything disparaging. I don't
2: think they exist anymore, so you're fine. Um, So you joined, like, you know, like all good web developers, you joined an internet startup in the 1999 timeframe, just before the whole internet came crashing to a halt, or at least the businesses around it. What was that like did it did it shake your confidence when it didn't make it or did you it inspire you to to double down
0: you know it 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 inspired me to double down i mean it was it was pretty brutal I was at uh, DoubleClick and and um you know the first year was uh we couldn't do anything wrong and um we seemed to be growing uh doubling in size every couple months and then we went through while I was there six layoffs and and by the end you know you'd You'd be in the office for the fifth and sixth layoff, and you hear the phone ring at the desk next to you, and you just had, you know, PTSD because your, you, you, you know, friends were, friends were falling uh, left and right, and, but you know what we saw there and what we saw was possible was, um, you know, we, we, we thought uh, this was this was going to pass at some point. Uh, we didn't know when, and um, I was fortunate enough to. To go from DoubleClick to Overture, uh, which you know, in in the midst of all that Armageddon, was growing, you know, doubling in size every six months, and so I got to kind of ship uh, to uh, a new and growing industry uh, amongst all the 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 chaos.
2: But in between those two things, didn't you? Was that between or or after you went to Overture that you moved to California from New York?
0: That was that was how I got to California.
2: Yeah. So you went you were to Columbia and then at DoubleClick and that, you know, didn't work out so well. And so you had met your wife at school, you moved to California in search of quote unquote more meaning. What what did more meaning mean to you at that point? And how, how has that definition changed for you?
1: And it's related the years? to more equity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was I had this moment. I, I actually quit double click um and said i'm going to go do something more meaningful with my life uh i had three potential paths in front of me as i saw it one was to get into education so that was that, that would have been much more meaningful than pop up banner ads uh two was to go into urban development uh because i thought it'd be fun to build uh you know piazzas like my grandfather grew up uh uh running around in when he was a kid in italy uh, and then three was keep going with more equity, um, and on. Well, I don't. It's not necessarily a regret, but I, you know, I wish I would have leaned harder into the first two and learned more. But it was clear to me at that point in time that I would have to go back to school and, you know, kind of start all over. And I just didn't. Uh, the The, the purpose driven life didn't draw me in as much as uh, I would have liked to.
2: <laughs> Interesting. So. When you, you were at Overture and had a very successful exit and then you started data pop, your next company. So still like sort of now you're tripling down on the whole internet advertising thing. What what did you learn at Overture that you took to data pop? What was the sort of the the new lesson as you moved from these companies through these companies?
0: You know, what was interesting about DoubleClick was really it was run by a leader who was very mission and values driven. He wrote these amazing, like on MLK Day, he would write these amazing um emails that would just get everybody fired up and ready to go to, to build more more banner ads. But it was there was a genuineness in, in the way that he managed his people and the way that he uh developed folks and mentored them and people still this is Kevin O'Connor who's the former CEO, people still Reach out to him, and they've gone on to different industries and different companies, and yeah, it's 20 years later, and he's still seen as this, you know, super inspirational and um, uh, you know, just kind of a. I mean, he was a young guy at the time, but just somebody you looked up to and learned from. Um, so he infused that in his business, and Overture was it was more run like a business. It was, Hey, we're here to make money. We're here to make more money next year than this year. And, um, you know, not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was very, very much, um, you know, a ones and zeros type of company. And so when we started data pop, we, you know, we had these skills, we had this, um, you know, this idea that we saw many marketers were having problems with. And, and we said, well, let's, Let's try to put the two together. Let's try and build an exciting, fast-growth business, but let's do it with people that we care about and that we can build uh, an environment and where they can they can have a career-changing experience. And so that's that that's what kind of catapulted us out the building is we, is, is we thought we could do both. But you also
2: found that one having uh, over reliance on one customer can create a lot of trauma for a company. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, when we started, we built a platform uh, that basically had one distribution partner, which was Yahoo. Um, and uh, if, if people could rewind time and think about Yahoo in 2008, it was actually still one of the top companies online. Uh, but the the writing was on the wall that it was it wasn't going to end well. Um, and we we had a great year run with them being a distribution partner, but then they basically spun out their, their search business to Microsoft. Microsoft shut down the product that we were distributing, and uh, we went from, wow, this is easy, and <laughs> we can we can make uh, money and have a great uh, great experience, great environment, to holy cow, now what? And we, we, don't, we, we don't have any more customers. We don't have any more revenue. Um, so that was a pretty searing experience.
2: And yet you succeeded at the company. The company was successfully acquired by a French company, right? You guys grew and...
0: that's right and and what did
2: you you do to get through that
0: i think it was a combination of we were too dumb to quit no (laughs) you know we just had to had to keep going because you know we started this thing and we wanted to we wanted to see it through to the finish and you know it comes back to the, the fact that we built this team that loved working with each other and um you know felt like we could lift each other up and and so there's you know, in that moment, uh, there were a couple people that left. So there were a lot of people that stuck around and really, you know, wanted to to work together to figure out how to how to make this thing work. And so, you know, we had a couple other near death experiences after that. But the the team and the kind of values and ultimately the you know the, the support we gave each other saw us through. And and we survive long enough to find a market that uh wanted what we were doing and when yeah we got to the end and, and we're fortunate to to be acquired by Critio, which is a you know french public company it's kind of cool to go to paris every three months and not have to worry about payroll for a little while
2: so i i think it's so interesting as you know as somebody who's invested in lots of companies myself i uh, think every single one of the great successful exits i saw uh occurred after a near death experience of that company um not a single one of them went on a straight line you know from from start to finish and do you think that's the ubiquitous experience of entrepreneurs
0: yeah i think you know there's zuckerberg and then there's everybody else right like he had lightning lightning in a bottle um but yeah i think i think it is uh you know it's a long and winding road and and you have to you have to be able to navigate the the false positives and the false negatives and keep going. And, um, you know, it's it's, it's hard to figure out, like there's still a problem that a customer is having down to a level where you can actually invent something that really changes, um, the, their, their work product or whatever their goals end up being. And, and so, yeah, you're, you're, you're guessing kind of shooting in the dark until you find, find that, that magic moment. And it, it really starts to drive towards, uh, Having a big impact at a big scale for your customers.
2: So you guys did really well. You and your business partner at DataPop, and you hung out in Paris for a while. But you know, like not every, one does, yeah, you can't. You know, you can always just sit around the Eiffel Tower smoking jetons. But um, after a few years of transition, you were back to searching for that meaning. You came to California for. How did it? What, what was the spark that that inspired that meaning? What where did you do?
0: Yeah. When we, when we sold the company, we, we, for six months, we happy not worrying about payroll. And then after six months, we said, oh, we gotta, we gotta do another thing. Um, and we both said we wanted to do something more meaningful and, you yeah. know, the, the, there's only so much sort of academic, uh, Excel spreadsheet and PowerPoint work you can do to figure out what's meaningful. And, um, you know, in our case, we had, um, we had something that connected so deeply, uh, given my personal experience, that um, you know my oldest son Noah has a, a rare genetic disorder uh, that basically presents itself as cerebral palsy, um, and you know we we were looking at a couple other things, um, you know almost like going back to when I made the last decision of go 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 for purpose or go for go for more equity, um, and this time Noah and, and his, the experience we had as a family and, you know, the friends that we've, we've made, uh, with other kids who have, uh, disabilities just kept pulling us back. And we, we, uh, you know, he so said, we've got these skills. We're in a position now where we can take even more risk because this is <laughs> jumping into this world. We've realized we've picked two really, uh, complicated industries, school and, uh, and healthcare, um, but we have we have the space to do it. Why not, why not go try and make a big impact in
1: this world? What did you see as the, um, I mean, of the many challenges that I'm sure you are were and probably are um, looking at, what struck you as the, how did you look at that whole world and decide this is the aspect of it that we're going to focus on, this is the problem or problems we're going to try to solve?
0: Yeah, we, we look at it from all the angles we could. And, and we talked to over 300 people in different parts of the world serving kids uh, with disabilities, whether it's education or healthcare. And, you know, we kind of, we toyed with, um, oh, maybe we could go fix the school side of this, or maybe we could go fix the therapy speech or OT or um, behavioral therapy side of this. and uh, But we kept coming back to the same initial um epiphany which is that the parents raising these kids and fighting through all these systems don't have somebody on their side like just all in on their their objectives for the child and and the child's needs uh but but also the the child's loves and and um you know the the child's strengths and you know we kept kind of looking at it and saying, well, of course, there's the primary care doctor. If they're lucky enough to have a development pediatrician or a specialist, but, you know, they, they have their own lens and their own view on what's right for the child and also what they can what they can control and have impact on for the child. Similarly, for the teacher in the school or, or the therapist. And so we just kept coming back to this is a complicated mess that may not be solvable uh, in the, the grandest uh, scheme of things, but if we can... Be the trusted partner for the family, and build tools and collective knowledge uh, across families uh, to help them better navigate this world for their child and getting the best care possible uh, across health and education. We could make a real dent. We could have. We could. We could do kind of the 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 brass tacks thing to save them time potentially save them money, which is not necessarily what the parents are looking for. They're looking for more resources for their child. So maximize that. But then, you know, more fundamentally, we could increase their confidence that they're doing all they can uh, for their child to live the best life.
2: Why don't you tell us a little bit about like, so this is Special X. We haven't even said the name for a little while here. I want to make sure people know this is this, the company's called Special X. And tell us what the locus of that company is. And I know you're operating now in beta in Los Angeles. You haven't spread it Uh, nationwide yet so what is what is your hope for what the business is
0: yeah fundamentally i mean it's this is a this is a, a human problem right like you you have um a child who's different um different needs different strengths um and you know you're you're lost as a parent in this fragmented um information desert to to do all you can to do what you want as a parent to help them live their best life. And and so what we want to, we want to deliver through um, people, technology and shared knowledge is the ability to get, help those parents uh, get their child the best care possible to live that best life. And so we, we have um, built a, a, a care hub where parents can Get everybody that's serving the child, the teacher, the doctor, the therapist on the same page. Uh, but the, the the anchor there is the child's strengths, loves and needs, not you know, the, the clinical readout of what's happening in the school or in, in the you know the doctor's office. And then we connect those families that we serve in that care hub to what we call navigators. So we're hiring Parents uh, who built up expertise in navigating these systems, parents of kids with disabilities, uh, to to be their care coach and, and help them navigate this world, and then we connect underneath that uh, and start to build out shared knowledge around what are kids like my kid getting in school or through therapy, and how do I how do I learn from that? And so there's this you know end game of building up this you know through personalized action for each family, this collective knowledge. Um, and collective action for families to to help them uh, get that best care
1: possible. So let me ask you a question as an entrepreneur, right? Is this a, how do you balance the sort of entrepreneurial drive to do something that's ultimately going to be profitable, that where the fact that it means that it's going to be profitable gives it something, an opportunity to grow, develop, to innovate, versus a chance to, on the one hand, do, do sort of a more of a, Explicitly, social venture where you have a chance to do good, but where there's, you know, I, I guess kind of less of a, um, on the one hand, less of a profit motive, but on the other hand, less of, you know, it, it has sort of a, a different focus. And given the success you've had, sort of on the sort of more traditional entrepreneurial uh, approach, how how have you thought about that, or how have you tried to balance? at some level those um, motivations and in those sort of potentially different structures?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And and it's, you know, a, both a, a mission-driven uh, uh, path that we want to take, but also we think a, a, a fundamentally this thing won't scale unless we get the answer to that question, right? Because if, if you go at this just from the pure profit motive perspective, um, you might end up serving rich families, um, and being successful there. Um, but that's all, that's all you'll be. Um, and that's, we didn't start this company to do that. Um, but if you, if we believe just fundamentally given our philosophies on, on life and business, that if you take the pure, um, the, the pure kind of nonprofit motive, then you're just not going to be able to scale to the millions of families that we want to impact uh, in, in in the U.S. And so, you know, frankly, we we haven't figured that answer out yet. Um, we're trying to balance um, those two elements, but we believe strongly that um, the path to impacting those millions of families is to to to, to meld those two and think about all stakeholders and, and try and balance them. There's a vehicle for this called the B Corps that we're exploring, but that's, I think, more a technical answer to your question. And and you know, for us,
1: no, you're right. I was thinking about philosophically because it is interesting because it's so. On the one hand, I can imagine people thinking, oh. Forget about the for-profit; just do it. But actually, the whole for-profit stuff well, the, is what drives the, the growth. The Catholic
2: hospitals will say to you, "No margin, no mission."
1: Or no bucks, no Buck Rogers, right? <laughs> That's from the right stuff. That's right.
2: <laughs> That's for right. That's fun. D- Don't tell that. Don't tell that
1: to your favorite candidate, Lisa. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm Trying to squeeze out all. Uh... But
2: it is an interesting
0: balance. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we we we're, we're small right now. We're working with you know. A uh, hundred families here in LA, and but what you see is, uh, it, you know, again, we're doing this at a at a, a, a level right now that doesn't scale, but we think we're on the path to scaling it. And what you see is families um, that they ask the question, and, and we dig in with them, and and but they, what they're really connecting to is the fact that we can. We, we've been calling this internally like how do we how do we make and deliver the commitment to excellence that all of these families deserve and to deliver the ex the level of excellence they deserve right that that, that their kids belong their kids have a right to um, live their best lives um, you, you have to have um a profit engine to make that happen. You have to to be able to deliver quality software. You have to pay these families that are our navigators. They're doing it at a volunteer level right now in Facebook and and offline, but they 40% of families with a kid with disabilities have apparently the workforce. Their expertise deserves their expertise deserves to be valued.
1: Yeah. Lisa, we had this exact very similar conversation, didn't we, with someone who was looking at patient communities and was mm-hmm. making the point mm-hmm. about a- actually reimbursing them. I forget yeah. who that was. But.
2: It might have been Alex Drain on the caregiver side. I don't know, but I think you know it is an interesting question about whose whose responsibility, right? You know, both financially and, and in every other respect, is you know taking care of of people who have problems, whether they're children or adults have as you know you're your parent with a child with a disability but you've now spoken to hundreds of others which by the way you know I commend you for that because I've spoke spoken to many many entrepreneurs who when they you know tell me they've uh, done market research it was with their one and only grandparent and they never talked to anybody else outside the building um what have been the revelations you've learned by talking to other families though i mean not everybody has the same lived experience of this what surprised you, or, or, or can you tell us, you know, a little bit about what you learned as you thought about building the business, you know, business model, business plan that you hadn't anticipated?
0: Yeah, this actually, this came to life uh, for me last week, and we had a, a picnic for the families that have been helping us uh, here in Los Angeles, either through interviews or, uh, and, and I didn't. I didn't realize even, even in this picnic, although to your question, Lisa, the the interviews we had, this came out in in a number of different ways, but we had over a hundred people together uh, at a park, public park. And um, I, you know, these are, these families are actually going up to my wife more than me to tell them, tell her this, but I didn't realize um, how isolated they are and we are i mean it it strikes me when i talk about it because i think about we're going later today to a public pool and, and there's this emotion of like you don't belong um and you know you so what we saw at this picnic is that we're in this public park kids of all you know shapes and sizes different you know strengths and needs playing together having fun um And, you know, one of the parents' comments to my wife struck both of us. She's like, there's nobody here giving us a side eye. Um, And, (laughs) you know, you think about there's Facebook, but Facebook's communities weren't built for for people to belong in broader society, right? There are these little pockets where you gather. And so that's the thing that has struck me kind of over and over again is that desire to... to to come together as a community um, and to belong.
2: That's interesting. I mean, if you can figure out a way to – maybe part of the product needs to be to help people who aren't suffering with these problems to understand and and be empathetic about them. I wonder if there's a pathway to that in what you're doing. Um, So the company is in its beta today in L.A. What is the number one problem you're trying to solve first for families? What's the first and most important challenge?
0: So the the big one that um, we really have zoned in on is the resource side of things, like the you know either access to resources um, through insurance or government benefits or school that these kids have the right to, or once once they have access to that, the um, you know getting the team together and, and serving the child off of the off of the same set of goals. Um, and so that, you know, if, if you think about the average parent we're serving, they have two to three therapies, the child's seeing, uh, therapists, the child's seeing on a regular basis, speech, OT, um, physical therapy, behavioral therapy, they're seeing that in school and they're seeing that out of school. Um, and so there's a lot of families who go years without knowing that they have the rights to that kind of service. Um, and then once they get it, they they're kind of lost in how to coordinate what's happening in school with uh, what's happening through uh, therapies out of school, and um, you know, kind of orienting on the child rather than you know what what the the school system says the child should be um, getting. And so those are the those are the that, that sort of resource access and and coordination piece is where we're really
2: honed in on. So one of your biggest strengths as an entrepreneur, particularly in this instance, I think is your empathy for the people you're engaging with. Um, You've talked about it even in your tech life, how that was important to you. And um, I know you've started your own podcast called Who Lives Like This to profile families who have kids with disabilities. What, What story has moved you the most in this experience? Uh, of podcasting who who really sticks in your memory
0: it, it's uh i have to say um it's the siblings that we talk to um and this is just like really personal for me because i have three boys my oldest son uh is noah he's the one with the, with a the, with a rare genetic disorder and then i have a seven-year-old and a, a four-year-old and we talk to cleo who's uh a young young adult um She's 18 years old and she had an older brother, um, who, uh, passed away when she was 11 and he was 14 and he had severe medical complexities and, um, you know, hearing her story about how she felt guilt for, you know, basically being ashamed that her brother was different. Um, with her friends in middle school and elementary school. And, um, you know, that just struck me because, you know, I, I still face those, you know, it's just, there's this, you know, I, I see that in myself. Sometimes I see that with my, my, my younger boys and how to navigate that and how to really come to grips with that. And, um, you know, she told this just beautiful story, uh, about how, how she came to grips with that, and it's just you know I'm, I'm listening to this 18 year old young young woman, and, and it's therapy for me, and it and it helps you know obviously me think about it and understand what to do for my my boys. So.
2: Interesting to hear that answer. I, I have a friend, Shannon Jacquard, who's an author, and she wrote a book about her brother's suicide, but the book is about her journey, you know, about the the siblings and how they experience you know the loss in that case, and in the case you're describing. Similarly, I think it's people forget, you know, the impact on the rest of the family other than the parents of the child.
0: Right. And there's this trope about, you know, you have a child or a a brother or sister with disabilities, then you you must be this like super empathetic human being. Um, But you're just, you know, you're a human being and you're going through all these struggles. And so my co host and I were both joking a couple of times where, we just we were both on silent, uh, on mute, uh, uh, fighting back the tears because it was just uh, such a beautiful story bringing that to life.
2: So I know you love to give back to the entrepreneurial community. Now you've had been very fortunate and have gotten to do this now three or four times. And what is it you do to make sure that uh, the next generation of tech founders who come to healthcare will not? Um, forget to talk to patients or, or we'll make that transition effectively. How do you, how are you contributing to that?
0: Yeah, I, I, so we participate in a couple communities here in Los Angeles. Techstars has a great one for entrepreneurs. Um, started a couple little groups of CEOs doing startups and the, yeah, this, th- this point of empathy, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a challenge, right? Because of the, the old, uh, cliche of, um, ask, ask somebody who has a horse what they want. They want a faster horse, but yeah, like immersing yourself in the nitty, nitty gritty details of what your customer is going through. I think trying to do that as an anthropologist and really, um, capturing all the, not just the facts, but the emotions, um, is, is where, the answer will come, but it's not what they will say with their words per se. It's it's the whole picture. And, and so what, what, what I do when I mentor other folks is just you know press them on how many, how many people have you talked to this, talk to this week mm-hmm. or this month, um, mm-hmm. uh, to really immerse yourself in that.
2: Very cool. So if there's one piece of advice you could give to the families out there, whose kids have disabilities, I'm sure we have many who listen to
0: us, um, what would it be? Uh, it's read this book. Oh, uh, well, two books read, uh, not what I expected by Dr. Rita. Eichenstein, uh, which really helps you come to grips with the cycle of grief that you're going through. And, and, and in particular, she talks about, it's not just a cycle. Like you can bounce back and forth from denial to anger, um, and, uh, through to acceptance, um, depending on the time of day or day of week. And then the other one is called far from the tree by Andrew Solomon. And I would recommend that for all your listeners. Cause it's such a beautiful, he, he, he does these interviews similarly of what we're talking about with hundreds of families and different diagnoses, whether it's dwarfism or de- deaf and hard of hearing or, um, multiple disabilities. And when you read the chapters on each of those, it's just this beautiful, he, he does this amazing job of, um, helping you empathize with what these families are going through.
2: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jason. We really enjoyed talking to you today and are such um, huge advocates for what you're trying to achieve with Special
1: X. 100%. Thank you.
2: Today's guest, Jason
1: Lumbeck, was speaking to us live from his home in Los Angeles. I thought that was a really interesting show. And what I thought was so among the many, many interesting and profound points he made was, you know, here was this serial tech entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very successful, it sounds like. And his key thing he seemed to be bringing to sort of health tech entrepreneurship was really the EQ part of it, mm-hmm. the emotional EQ, the the. The absolute lack of sort of this sort of solutionism, like what you, what some of these people who are like, oh, we, you know, we look what we did, you know, think of like Shamath, right? We fixed Facebook, now we're now, all you morons need to get out of the way and we're gonna fix healthcare. And this is like the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. It's like emotional and hearing. And, you know, clearly he has, you know, he understands like what it takes to build a tech company, but he's really doing it from the level of sort of like um, emotional connectivity.
2: Yeah, well, I love the idea of a marketplace for things people actually need to change their life, right? I and mean, we have a million marketplace companies out there, but what, you know, what, but if you could use one to actually, you know, change the trajectory of your child's life in a fundamental way, that's a pretty cool opportunity. So, I, you know, and I, I love to see new companies, obviously I do it all day long, but, you know, it's very rare I see one that I've never seen anything like it before. And this was one that really struck
1: me. Wow, that's really cool. Well, I really yeah. hope it works out.
2: Me too. Uh, and, Speaking of things that work out, you can follow David's column, Astounding Health Tech, at the Timmerman
1: Report. And you can follow Lisa's writing, Adventure Valkyrie. We are grateful to Manat Health for sponsoring today's show. Manat Health is a multidisciplinary professional services firm that integrates a full-service law firm with a broad-based strategic business and policy consulting practice to help clients grow and prosper. Manat Health supports the full range of stakeholders in transforming America's health care system. Take care. Be well.